0: Welcome to Salem Alliance Church. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Steve
1: Fowler. Jennifer and I are up here. We're wrapping up our Culture Shock series. If you remember, we've been talking about this moment when we'd uh, we'd take some of your, your questions. And uh, we started uh, this series back in June, if, if you remember, just talking about um, the, the seismic shifts, the, the, the significant changes that our culture has been seeing in these last uh, few decades. And we felt like it was really important that we spoke to them. And uh, often as we, as we look at topics, uh, one of the questions, we wanna, we wanna know what's right and what's wrong, and, and, and that's, a, that's a great question to ask. And Scripture does speak very clearly to many things. But I think as, as our culture continues to uh, meander its way forward in time, uh, that uh, r- there's a lot of things that you know we, the scriptures don't specifically speak to, and so maybe a better question to ask is, "What's wise or unwise? What's the principles that arise from God's heart as it's revealed in Scripture? How how might that uh, guide us?" And I just want to say um, from from the beginning here, thank you so much for engaging in this series. Um, thanks for uh, your your feedback, your questions. Um, you, you've been very thoughtful. My mom texted me a, a, a question yesterday. She said, hey, what, you know, what have you learned about the church uh, through this series? And I responded to her, mom, I, I can't answer that in a text. Uh, that's, that's a phone call conversation. That, that's, a, that's at least an email. Um, but uh, I, you know, I was just reflecting on that yesterday and thinking, you know, I think one of the things that I admire about you is that um, as we've engaged in these, these tough topics that you, you have not been easily offended. Uh, there's no doubt that, that we, we would land maybe on different areas. Uh, we might have differences of opinions in, in, in these, these topics. We've been talking about marijuana and politics and sexuality and life and social media and consumerism. And, you know, we, we, we can have differences of opinion, and, and that's okay. Um, but you've done that in such a, uh, with an unoffendable spirit, and, and I, I admire that. Um, And and so we've received questions, and we want uh, to try and do our best to address these questions. Also want you to know that um, we've worked hard to create time for some some questions, some live questions, maybe um, a question you see us addressing prompts a question, and you want to text it in. You can do that. Um, The phone number you text your question to is 22333. And in the uh, in the in the text box where you're going to answer, you first have to put in this number. You, you, the phone number is two two three three three. Then you put in three five six zero eight nine. Uh, I know it's a lot of numbers to remember, uh, but the teams will leave that slide up there for a little bit. But three five six zero eight nine. Leave a space and then put your question in. But here's the deal: um, the program we use, you have to keep your question concise. It only allows so many characters, so maybe two sentences. Um, you know, like. Concise sentences, um, and uh, and and that. Otherwise, we get cut off. We won't be able to understand kind of where you're where you're going with your question. Um, so send those in as we have time. We'll, we'll try and address those. We want to honor the questions that were sent in. But uh, I think we've got to figure out now we can, we can we can answer some of those questions live.
0: Yeah. So for a couple months we've been saying, hey, Steve and Jennifer are going to do this Q and A. We're going to this question and answer time. And as the questions have come in on email, I've realized more and more I don't have capital A, answers to these things. And so I'd love it if we could consider today as a Q&R, a question and response. Steve and I, out of our experience, out of our knowledge of the word, leaning on the reliance and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit are gonna respond to some of the questions that have come up, but we're certainly not the answer people. Um, one of the things that gives me an awful lot of hope is that in James, um, it tells us, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. And so that's where we wanna start today. We're just gonna stop and ask God for wisdom. So, Father, thank you for this promise. Thank you that you don't find fault with us when we lack answers, that you, in fact, know that we can't possibly know the things that you know, and you're willing to give us wisdom when we come and ask. And so today, we just humbly come before you and ask for wisdom. We ask that whether it's here this morning with your Holy Spirit present with us, or, or for those in the congregation, though, having coffee with a friend, Lord, we, as your people, need wisdom. So, Holy Spirit, would you be present and, and give us that gift. In your name, amen.
1: Amen. Uh, two quick things. One is I, I, I forgot to mention to welcome live stream. So we're glad people are watching on live stream, and also want to know that when you know that if you're watching a live stream, you can text your questions in as well um, to that same number, so put that same other 2233-356-089, oh, and your question will get in as well. Um, I, I want to take us back earlier in the year. I, I did a talk uh, from Daniel chapter one, and uh, shared some wisdom from Dr. Gary Brashear's. He told when we're talking about um, hot topics. Um, or controversial topics, however you wanna define that. Um, They typically fall in four categories. The die for category, the divide for category, debate for and decide for. Die for, that's, that's the, I mean, these are the non-negotiables of the faith, the deity of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the son of God. That's, you know, people are dying for that. The, the divide for, think of the reformation period when um, the nature of how is righteousness attained? Is it credited by faith or do you earn it or you work for it? Um, That that caused a divide for response um, in the Reformation period. Debate for, that would be theological concepts, um, say Calvinism or Arminian thought. Um, There's a lot of debate. People can still retain friendship and relationship and debate uh, things and hold very different opinions on some important theological concepts. The decide for are things like, uh, how often are we going to celebrate communion? Uh, These are just decisions that we're making. Now, here's what Brashear says. So we have a tendency to take things that fall in the decide for and the debate for category, and because of a lack of wisdom or a lack of spiritual maturity, we push them up and escalate them and make them divide for or die for um, topics. So, um, so oftentimes what happens is because we have a difference in opinion on a particular uh, issue, maybe one of, even one of the issues we raise today, um, we'll break relationship or we'll, we'll leave a, a fellowship and go to another fellowship because we, you know, we, just, we just can't take that we, all, we don't agree on something. Um, or um, you may hear someone says, boy, if that ever happens here, it's going to happen over my dead body. That's someone saying uh, that this is a die for category. Very few things fall in the die for and the divide for category. And I just want to say from the beginning that if we can have that grid in front of us as we, if we give our answers, you may have a different opinion on something we say. Um, we, we can debate that and still maintain friendship and relationship. It's possible. Um, and, uh, so I just wanted, I, I think it helps us as we enter into, um, this particular conversation. So with that in mind, we're just going to move into the, into the first question. Yeah.
0: So the first one came in around the idea of social media it's on the screen behind me and let's read it together. It says a Christian friend posted a grumpy cat driving a car on Facebook. Grumpy says, I just ran over Hillary Clinton. You're welcome. This person often posts scriptures and God bless you things on her page. How can any Christian reconcile the love of Jesus with a meme that suggests killing Hillary would be acceptable? It's a good question, isn't it? There's a lot of layers in that question about how we utilize social media and the fact that in social media we have a perceived sense of distance or even being able to be anonymous and we'll say things on the screen that we would never say in person. We'll make a joke about something about somebody that we would never really honestly say and we get carried away sometimes in the, in the pursuit of humor to say things that actually don't reflect the nature and the character of Christ. And yet I do think there's a couple sides to this. The first one is, no, a Christian can't reconcile suggesting that killing Hillary Clinton would be a good solution at this point. That's not reflecting the character of Christ. And on the other hand, do we find that we are quick to take offense? And that we are perhaps sitting with an overly critical spirit and self-righteousness watching what other people are posting and saying, well, a Christian shouldn't post that. So there's a couple questions I would suggest. One is, if you're someone who's on social media, I would encourage you to look closely at the, um, the consistency of what you're posting. Do you have an inconsistency in what you're posting? Or are you pretty consistent with what you're posting reflects your heart? And... If you're someone who's often reading what other people are posting and wondering, well, I don't know if that's okay for them to post that, ask yourself the question, am I being self-righteous? Am I being judgmental? Am I being overly critical? And I really believe this is one of those debate for items. This isn't something we need to get really worked up about, but there could be times when we need to, in love, confront someone and say, hey, tell me a little bit more about what you posted yesterday. Can I say these two things? One, never do that online. Don't confront online, do that in person. If you're close enough to feel like you would want to ask them a question about the consistency of what they're posting, do that in person. And the second one is try to keep a low level intensity. Don't go in just going, you were wrong, but go in asking questions, hear their story. Have you thought about this to maintain relationship in the experience of holding each other accountable?
1: So Jennifer made an appointment with me and I took it down, okay, I'm sorry. (laughs)
0: Steve actually has exercised wisdom and does not have a Facebook page. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think he answered that question really well. And actually, in that question, there, you can, you can a little bit of a, if you can pick up some of the little attention in the, in the political season, which leads to these, some of these questions on politics. Uh, here's a couple for us. How should I treat this specific contest during the election, given the less than satisfactory track record of these candidates? I could use some guidance. Thanks. Um,
0: <laughs> so we're going to be telling you who to vote for.
1: Yeah. <laughs> a s- second question is, you said Jesus wasn't a Democrat or a Republican. That, uh, if, if you're here in that politics weekend, I, I, Jesus transcends politics. So um, he wouldn't allow himself to be put in a box politically. Um, I, I don't think we can do that to it. What I said, uh, he wasn't a Democrat or Republican, but if I vote for this person's asking, if I vote for a Democrat or a Republican, aren't I taking sides? Help. Yes, Help. Um here's the thing, in, in politics, um I think we need to avoid our the spiritualization of our vote. I think we sometimes there's such a heavy burden that comes over us as we're casting our vote because there's so much chatter and talk, and talk radio going, and, um, and, and blogs being written, and it just, man, it makes voting such a heavy, heavy thing, and it's, it's, it's like, man, we're just going to displease the Father um, if we vote one way or the other, and I, so I think we need to just not spiritualize our vote and remind ourselves that we live in a country of the privilege of being able to cast our vote and choose our leaders, and that is a great thing. Not many countries have that, that privilege. Um, I think we need to listen to the Spirit of God. Uh, through a political process. The candidates that are before us, maybe, maybe um, we're, we're not happy with either. I mean, you, there's several candidates, but you know, you know that the RNC and the DNC have put forward their nominated their candidates and, um, and they're in front of us. And um, I, there, there will never be a president that you will completely agree with when you cast your vote. Um, So I think we listen to the Spirit. I think um, John Ortberg, several years ago, wrote a blog that I think was very helpful. Uh, He he talked about the seven deadly sins of evangelicals in, in political seasons. Um, and he, here's some of the things that uh, he, he mentions. He, he talks about messianism, which is the sin of believing that one person can solve our problems and usher in the eschaton, this utopic period. Uh, that's, that's a mistake. Selective scripturization. If we have a candidate or a president we love, we quote Romans, uh, Romans 14 or Romans 13 and say we should submit to governing authorities. If we have a candidate or a president we don't like, we, we quote Acts 5 and say we must obey God rather than men. We, we choose our verses, okay? Um, easy believism, Whatever the media says, it must be true. Sometimes we often think the worst of people, um, and not everything that's being said is true. This episodism, which is just our random engagement in politics. You know, every once in a while, we we we're kind of trying to engage and. I, Orberg's trying to call us to a consistent engagement. Alarmism, again, this is where fear typically uh, takes place. He, he, he makes the suggestion that we move the, uh, the election day from that first Tuesday in November and move it to Halloween because it seems like we're voting for the boogeyman-in-chief, not the commander-in-chief um, because of all the, the alarmism. one issueism that's reducing, just taking all the complexities of what's happening and, and reducing it to one issue and then pride. I, oftentimes in the political season, it's about power and control and these are some of the, the, the things, the patterns that we find ourselves embracing in the, in the political season. And, um, and when it comes to taking sides, what, what happens is political parties tend to pit themselves against another political party. And, and so what, because of that, um, and because of the language that it tends to be vitriolic and inflammatory, and because a lot of battle metaphor is used, a lot of attack, when we're voting, it feels like... Uh, we have to take a side, and uh, friends, we're, we're just doing our best to cast our vote as good citizens engaging um, in, in, in the process and, um, and engaging as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven as well. We have dual citizenship, and so we listen carefully to his spirit, and we do our very best um, yeah. to vote.
0: I find that in the political season, I'll just confess, I get overwhelmed and I get confused and I tend to go to escapism, just get me out of here, because I just am not sure who to believe and who to listen to and, and the thing I want to remind us of is that we do have an anchor, it's, it's God's word and in 2 uh, in Timothy he tells us that scripture is inspired by God and that God uses it to prepare and his, equip his people to do every good work. So when you are as weary as I am and as confused as I am with the information coming at you from the screen and the media and and the information tech world, uh, turn to the Bible. Dig into this, become a student of God's word and find that it really is true. The words here are the things that will equip us for the life that he's called us to lead even in a political season.
1: So I just think the political process is very competitive and sometimes we get sucked into that. Take heart, friends. Um, listen to his spirit, listen, listen to Christ, and do your very best to cast your vote as best you can um, and understand that's, that's one of the privileges that we, we get to do. A, a lot of the questions that came in had to do with sexuality, so um, we, we've got several of those we'd like to address.
0: I'm gonna read a few of them here and then we're gonna kinda unpack the various issues that are brought up. I have a close relative who is involved in a same-sex relationship. My wife and I are trying to understand more of the differences between acceptance and approval. Could you please share more on this? I had a question regarding the difference between acceptance and approval on same-sex marriage that you spoke of on Sunday. My sister is gay, and I accept and love her and her partner, even though I don't approve of their relationship. They are planning to get married and have a big family affair. I'm not sure about attending their wedding since I don't approve of the union, but also don't want it to appear in any way that I am rejecting her. Where is the line between acceptance and approval in this type of situation? And another one, what are some specific principles you recommend for discerning whether a particular situation requires us to refuse participation because our participation would result in compromising the truth and encouraging sin? And can we just say, these are some of the rubber meets the road questions. When someone up here says, there's a difference between acceptance and approval, all of us in the pew say, okay, and how do we walk that out? How do we live that? What does that look like on a day-to-day basis? And the first thing I want to say is, every single time, it's absolutely born out of relationship. You are the one in relationship with the person that you're asking us about. And so in some way, Steve and I can't answer what you say to that person or how you set it up or what you decide because you're the one in relationship. You might remember several months ago, Ron Walborn was here and, and preached a sermon on fighting the right battle. Matter of fact, if you missed it or if you wanted to listen to it again, it's, it's on the uh, messages on our, um, our podcast step place. But um, he talked about we often fight the battle for behavior and we lose the battle for relationship. And we need to fight the battle for relationship and trust God with the battle for behavior. Because at the core and the heart of this is we want to stay in relationship with the people in our life no matter what their behavior.
1: Yeah, and, and as Jennifer mentioned, the, this acceptance and approval, this was something that came up in a lot of questions. Um, you know, what, Talk more about this because um, I, I think culture has um, has discipled, up, discipled us in this area, that we have to, we have to if, if we hang out with someone or if we spend time with someone, it's because we approve of, of everything they do. Um, let me just take it back to Scripture. You remember the story of Zacchaeus? Um, Zacchaeus was a tax collector. If you grew up in church and you went to Sunday school, you learned a song that right now it's already going off in your head. Zacchaeus <laughs> was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. Uh, Jesus comes to town Zacchaeus is a tax collector, which, because he's employed by Rome, his Jewish community, which is under the, uh, has been taken over by Rome, sees Zacchaeus as a traitor to the community because he's working for Rome. And Zacchaeus, much like many of the tax collectors uh, in that society of the day, they would uh, charge extra for, uh, for they would, they would, the taxation they would raise, and they would pocket much of that money and then send the rest on to Caesar. So this is a guy who's hated. This is a guy who's vilified. This is a guy who's, who is, this is a traitor. We keep our distance from him. And, um, and the religious leaders really struggled with Jesus because they had adopted this, this, adopt this practices is, is if someone is sinful, you don't spend any time with them because if you spend time with them, then that means you are approving, you're condoning that behavior. So a guy like, like Zacchaeus would have been rejected by his, his community. Now what's his number one need? What's his primary emotional need? It's friendship, it's acceptance. And, and in comes Jesus, into Jericho, and the crowds are lining the streets because Jesus has performed miracles, and I mean, the the, the the stories have gone viral in Israel, and um, And Zacchaeus is in his sycamore tree, and he's trying to get a glimpse of who Jesus is, and Jesus stops, and he, and he invites himself over for lunch or dinner at Zacchaeus' house. Imagine how powerful this would be. Now, here's a guy who's been rejected by his community, and and. and I'm sure, received all kinds of insults, and Jesus says to him, of all these people, I wanna hang out with you and I wanna, I wanna have a meal with you, which, which in Hebrew culture was a, 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 an incredible uh, meal of intimacy. You, you, you ate with people, and that, you, these are your closest friends. Jesus has a meal with Zacchaeus. Now, you gotta get this, the religious leaders, they, w- they often ask the disciples of Jesus, why does your master spend time with sinners and gluttons and drunkards, because in their mind, You're condoning, you're approving of that behavior. But Jesus differentiated between giving the gift of unconditional love, and in this case, acceptance, and saying, I approve of what Zacchaeus is doing. He's not approving of Zacchaeus' greed and gouging his neighbors. He's not approving of that. But what he does is he gives the gift of acceptance and literally he wins the battle for Zacchaeus' heart, so much so that during that meal, Zacchaeus comes under some conviction and says, I'm going to pay back everyone that I've taken money from. In fact, I'm going to do it, I'm going to pay back four times what, I, what, I, what I've taken. And Jesus makes this announcement. Today, I tell you, salvation has come to this house. Now, now notice what Jesus does here. He does not withhold acceptance. He does not withhold love. He... he He extends unconditional love, and that actually leads to transformation in Zacchaeus' life. I think one of the principles in living out our lives and and engaging in relationship with people um, has to do with this idea of, of extending love even when we don't agree with somebody. Oftentimes, we withhold love until we see the right behavior. I'm a parent. My kids would go sideways and, and they would do things. And oftentimes the temptation would be is to withhold love from them because I, if, if, I, if I love them, if I'm kind to them, then will they hear the message that what they did was okay? And I tried my very best to, to give love. I might withhold privileges, but I tried my very best not to withhold love um, and, and try and, and raise them in, a, in a, an environment where they, where they could, you know, they would make their mistakes, but they would, they would know that they are loved. I think on this topic as Jennifer mentioned, the decisions that we make about going to a wedding or not, that, boy, I tell you what, this is something you need to listen to the Spirit on. Mm-hmm. Um, you need, to, and you know the relationships. Um, I I think you need to bear in mind the difference between accept, acceptance and approval. Let me just say this. Some of you have sent emails in saying, "Would you know, Steve, would you do as a pastor, would you do a same-sex wedding? Can I just, just put put it out there? Uh, no, I, I wouldn't do a same-sex wedding, much like I wouldn't do a wedding for someone who I knew that was... was sexually active, or was, was, uh, was not being faithful, even coming up to the wedding, uh, there's many reasons why I've turned down doing weddings. Yeah, that, that, that would be one. Um, and, and when it comes to the issue of going to the wedding, let me just put my neck out there and remind you of what a gracious people you are. Uh, <laughs> I, let me just say this. I would really struggle going to a wedding in which it, two people of the same sex are being married. I, I just would really struggle with that. Um, so, in most cases, I, I probably wouldn't go. But if it was someone that was a close family member, um, someone maybe a relative, maybe even a son or a daughter, I think I would go. I think I would go, and I would give the gift of acceptance. I, I would I would have a hard time saying congratulations, but I would have an easy time saying I love you. And uh, I'm just saying that's that's me. You need to pray about your situations. Um, Oftentimes, I think we are afraid. If the fear is rising up with you that if I go, then I'm condoning the behavior? No, 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 no. Differentiate between acceptance and approval. There is a difference. Um, and I, you can give love and be present and still not celebrate. Love is patient. Love is kind. It's not rude. And also, love doesn't rejoice in what is wrong. So we, we walk in that, that tension.
0: Yeah. Over the summer, I've been doing some research on the five love languages, because uh, Women's Ministries is going to be doing some stuff with those this fall, and if you're not familiar with them, the five love languages is this premise that we give and receive love in different ways, and the five are um, giving gifts, physical touch, quality time words of affirmation and acts of service, and Gary Chapman and some others he's affiliated with have written several books, and I've been reading one about uh, the five love languages and how to love your children, and as we were talking about this unconditional love and how do we define it and how do we talk about this, there was this quote that I thought was really valuable. Let's read it together here. We can best define unconditional love by showing what it does. Unconditional love shows love to a child no matter what. We love regardless of what the child looks like, regardless of her assets, liabilities, or handicaps, regardless of what we expect her to be, and most difficult of all, regardless of how she acts. This does not mean that we like all of her behavior. It does mean that we give and show love to our child all the time, even when her behavior is poor. Does this sound like permissiveness? It is not. Rather, it is doing first things first. A child with a full love tank can respond to parental guidance without resentment. And I feel like that's kind of one of the bottom lines here. We're doing first things first. A child, or a friend, or a sibling, or, or somebody you're walking with can respond to our difficult conversations when they know that we love them, when we've expressed that by our words of affirmation, or giving gifts, or, or serving them in some way, or the ways that we express love, we continue to express love even as we walk through the difficult
1: conversations. Yeah, I think well, well said. Uh, uh, Greg, do we have time for a question Can you put it up on the screen? How to explain to your children about same-sex relationships. Yeah, I boy, I mentioned someone asked a question similar to this last night, and I think if you got young kids, you're you're raising your children in in times that these are these are difficult times. And let me just add this: I've talked to some people who say, you know, I just I'm not going to push my faith on my kids. I'm, I'm I don't want to. I, I want them to own it. I think I love your heart, but you need to understand something. If you don't disciple your kids, someone will. So, you're going to have a lot of opportunities. You may be watching a show and a commercial comes on and you are not prepared for that commercial to your children to be exposed to that commercial. And, um, and I think that, that you need to seize opportunities to have this conversation. You know, sometimes you just may need to def- deflect because it's not a wise time. It's, it's not a good time for your kids to have this conversation. But understand that um, there are other voices speaking into their lives and don't hold off too long. Trina and I would do these 12 year old trips with our kids. I think if our kids, if we decided to start over again, which she's not for, uh, <laughs> if, if we were to start over again, boy, I'd have, maybe it's a seven year old trip. I don't, I don't know. Um, our, our kids are hearing messages. I think you speak with grace. I think you talk to your children and you try and instill into them some of these things like acceptance and, and what unconditional love looks like. Um, you paint a picture for them that helps them find their way and influence in in our changing world. I don't know if you got anything to add to that, Jennifer?
0: When my kids were younger, one of the advice that I got was when it came to questions of sexuality, to answer the questions the kids were asking without giving more information than what they were asking for, and to answer without awkwardness and confusion to just do the best you can to answer their honest questions with honest answers and to stop giving answers when they stop asking questions. And I think that applies here as well. Um, The other thing though is I agree with Steve, there are times when you need to be intentional. When our boys were little, they were attending a public school and I had been a public school teacher and I understood what they were gonna hear on the playground. And I said to my husband, I said, I don't want their first exposure to sexuality to be a conversation on the playground. I want their first exposure to sexuality to be in our home in the safety of hearing what God's creation was for this. And so we were pretty proactive about having that conversation with them early. And as far as it comes to talking about same-sex relationships, our kids are bumping into it everywhere. And I'm reminded of, a in our house, when people were talking about something they were frustrated about, we, we differentiated between... You're bad, and you're doing something bad. And I think sometimes when it comes to things that we see around the world, we have a tendency to say, they're bad. And can I just say, be careful as you explain that we don't believe that same-sex relationships is the way God created us, and yet we love these people. It's not a they're bad, they're the enemy. It is a, this is a hard world we live in.
1: Yeah, and I would say sometimes it's, we talk about those people, and actually that's us. Yeah. (laughs) Um, because brokenness um, manifests itself in a bunch of different ways. Um, and if you're here and you're, and you're struggling with same-sex attraction, or maybe you're, you're in a same-sex relationship, um, know that Christ loves you, um, and know that if, if it's something that you're, that you're struggling with, that there are others who struggle as well, much like there are people in here struggling with other kinds of sexual temptations or sexual sins. So um, that's why it's so important to, to do this in, in community.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, Greg, we got time for another one? If you have an unclean mind, does that make you a non-Christian? No, well, it just means you're normal. Uh, <laughs> it really does. Um, let, let me just share a little bit, if I can just kind of be a bit vulnerable here with you. I, I grew up in Hong Kong um, as a young kid. And um, back, back you know, we didn't, we didn't have computers, and you know what computers were that day, um, but magazines were everywhere. Um, they had magazines out on the street corners, and uh, many of them were pornographic. And I remember as, as a young kid um, and, and seeing that, that, boy, that just not only shocked me, but um, I, w- oftentimes I, would just, I would do laps around the block <laughs> as a young man. Um, and uh, it, it just started getting in my mind, and it was so hard to get those images and those thoughts out of my mind. And, um, and that followed me for, um, for some years. And I, I had this same question, because if I'm having these thoughts, then does that disqualify me? Paul, when he's writing to the church in Rome, said this, why do I do the things I know I'm not supposed to do, and why do I do not do the things I know I should do? And he lands by saying, what a wretched man I am. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I was feeling. Um, you get to chapter eight and says, now there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are a people who are being sanctified. Uh, we're, we're being set apart and you need to understand that once you give your life to Christ, this is, hard, this is hard to understand, but God looks at you and declares that you're holy, you're a saint. You are saved and then you're in the process of being made holy. Hebrews 10, 14, you are saved and being saved. It's a fantastic verse because it's like, what, am I saved or am I being saved? Yes. Um, so the, the thing is, is that you need, to, you need to ask the Spirit to transform you and to fill you. Um, and you just keep turning to Him and don't let that mean voice of condemnation tell you you don't belong to the family.
0: Yeah. And when you bump into the fact that you have failed, again, when you bump into the place that your sin is right in front of you, it's at that point that you turn, you repent, you ask forgiveness, and you keep walking.
1: Yeah, and and you may do that uh, quite a few times. Um, That was my experience. It's just, you just feel like, I should get this by now, right? Um, Friends, we're growing, and growth doesn't happen in a day or a week or a month. Um, It just, it's part of the process of being sanctified. Yeah. Let's move to uh, topics... So, Um, several
0: questions came in on sanctity of life. Um, You might remember three weeks or so ago, I talked about Speak Life, we looked especially at abortion and end of life issues, and here's some of the questions that came in. One lingering question I have is, how does the church view abortion if it is performed due to the mother's health being in jeopardy, and I mean truly in jeopardy, life endangering? Also, it is a gray area to me as well when talking about abortion when it relates to rape, Or particularly incest where the victim is a minor, any insight you can share would help me greatly. This is why this is hard. This is why some of us, myself included, until I had to dive into it in order to preach a sermon, have sat back for a long time and gone, well I just believe what I believe and I'm gonna just leave it at that. (laughs) Because we don't know the answers to this and yet I, I I feel like what it boils down to is who do we believe that God is? What do we believe his heart is? And do we trust him to be God even in these most difficult of situations when we are face-to-face with the brokenness, the pain, the violence, and the just evil and wrongness of our world? And so let's just look at these one at a time, the first one being the safety of the mother and her health is in danger. Um, You might remember uh, I mentioned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The three guys who wouldn't bow down to Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar came back and he said, look, if you don't bow down, you're going into my fiery furnace. You're going to die. And they said, listen, O oh king, our God can deliver us from your furnace, but even if he does not, we will not bow down. And when it comes to this question, that's where I land. My God can do a miracle. My God can transform a medical emergency. My God can save a life. There's this potential danger and my God is big enough for that. But even if he doesn't, I will not take an innocent life. I will entrust this decision to God, who is the God of life. That's hard. If, if yourself or someone you love deeply is in danger and a doctor is telling you their life could be in danger, that's a hard decision. I have to tell you that since I've been preaching this three weeks ago at five o'clock, a woman came up to me and said, the doctor told me to abort my second son because my life was in danger. I wouldn't do it, I got a different doctor and now she's well into her 70s, he is well into his 50s and they've got grandkids and there might even be great grandkids. Last night, when I shared that same story, a man came up to me after five o'clock and he said, My mom was told to abort me when she was four months pregnant with me. Thank you. Friends, we get into these decisions where we feel like our only option is such and such. And with God, we're never stuck with an only option. He's our Redeemer. Let's move on. What about the case of rape? someone's been violated, and violence has been perpetuated, and it's unthinkable to us that she should have to carry that baby. I don't want that woman pregnant with this, but I was taught when I was a kid that two wrongs don't make a right. So, and and as I read and did research, these women who've had abortions are saying, you know, you're in this place where you have this problem, and you think this is the answer that's going to help, and yet you find that when you pursue an abortion, that emotionally, and spiritually, and physically, you're worse off than you were to begin with. And we tell women, well, if you've been raped, then it's okay, and we promote violence as a, as a response and a solution to violence, and, and we're, not, we're not looking at God as being the redeemer. This woman needs redemption. She's been violated, but, but choosing death isn't the redemption. We need to trust God even for her to heal and to mend and to redeem And what about the case that takes it a step deeper and a step harder when the the victim is a minor and it's a victim of incest and all of us just curdle inside and we just go, oh, Jennifer, you're not going to say that she should have to carry the baby. Let me tell you a story. I was reading a book um, called Is There Not a Cause? It was written by a woman who'd had an abortion named Sheila Harper. It's actually a pretty short book and an easy read. She's got some very simple and compelling thoughts on these type of things if, you're, if this is what you're kind of wondering about, uh, called Is There Not a Cause? She told a story about standing at a wall of remembrance for victims of abortion and reading the different plaques about children whose lives had been lost to abortion, and she got to a plaque that said, to my 10 children, incest was hard on us all. She stepped back from the plaque because she was wrestling with God. God, how can I say that abortion shouldn't happen in this case? And what she sensed from the Spirit of God was this, that abortion perpetuated the abuse. See, if that young girl had become pregnant with that first child and that had become exposed, there would not have been nine more abortions. It's horrifying, but is abortion the solution that we need for the horrifying things in our world? I don't think we find the answer by promoting death. I think we find the answer by promoting life and by being there and present for those who are in need.
1: Yeah, I think you've answered that super well, Jennifer. And um, These questions are, I mean, these are really important questions and um, we need wisdom. We need God's wisdom in this day and age of how to follow, how to live. Um, another question that came in on this same topic is, should laws limiting abortion be seen as a good thing? And if so, is there a role for Christians to play in personal political activism on this issue? Uh, my, my answer to that is absolutely. There, there are laws limiting this kind of violence that 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 Jennifer is talking about, and, and pursuing that, I, I, that is a good thing. And there is a role for Christians To play, and can I just say this though, with a little caveat, how we go about that is as important as what we're trying to achieve. Um, Oftentimes, um, we we create unnecessary us versus them scenarios, and and we we, uh, we get involved in this pitting people against each other because these are very important topics. And so how we go about doing that is, is really critical, but absolutely, we can't legislate morality, but we can create an environment, we can uh, shape culture to uh, where, where justice thrives, uh, where, where righteousness can uh, uh, abound. And, and that, in ways, can protect people, believers and unbelievers. So I do believe there's a role for us to play, I, 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 but I would just say that there's, there's the how we do that is, is gonna take wisdom as well. Yeah,
0: there was a question that came in on the death penalty, and um, let's just read it real quick. The death penalty was not included in the list of controversial issues to the Speak Life sermon, which was amazing, by the way. Thank you. Uh, does the biblical pro-life stance articulated in the sermon necessarily include opposition to capital punishment? And for time's sake, I would just say um, I have not researched the death penalty and capital punishment the same way I researched the other issues leading into that sermon, and. If where I landed was that God is Redeemer and He can redeem anyone in any situation, and because I know that our judicial system is fallible, I lean away from capital punishment. But that's not a church position and that's not a well-researched political justice versus mercy tension. That's just my own. I would be hesitant and lean away from capital punishment.
1: Yeah, um, it's, uh, we're, we're getting close to a wrap here. Um, I, wanna ra- I wanna wrap here, but can, can I just say, I'm, just, I'm super proud Of uh, our preaching team and how they've embraced and engaged in these topics. Really proud of you, and I'm proud of you and the spirit in which you've engaged in these in these topics. And uh, we need to be there for each other as we continue to find our way and influence uh, in our culture. These these topics are not done. Uh, this, this, these are things that we're living with and new ones will pop up and we need to, to be there for each other I, I just want to remind us as, as Jennifer and I wrap up here is um, you know when change happens there's three primary emotions that bubble to the surface fear, anger, apathy fear and we tend to spiritualize these uh, I, I want to invite us to, to, to um, not be a people of fear but to continue to be a people of faith of knowing who our God is, and knowing, as Ephesians 5 says, that even in, in the dark times, even the difficult times, there's opportunity. So don't live as unwise, live as wise. So let's be a people of faith instead of people of fear. Instead of anger, I want to invite us to be a people of grace. Um, th- there is such a thing as holy anger. Um, but I-, I think oftentimes we-, we go there too quickly, and I want to invite us to be a people of grace, uh, as we move forward in our culture, and then instead of being a, pa- a people of apathy, instead of being a people who want to try and buy that cabin in Montana somewhere and disconnect from society, um, uh, let's be a people who engage wisely um, in, in the lives of people who don't know Jesus. People are never the enemy. The enemy is the enemy. Yeah. And so... We need to love on our cities, love on our, our people, and um, I just want to remind us of that. And then,
0: yep. the as up. we wrap up, there's a scripture that reminds us of who God is and, and an invitation to us to enter in based on who He is. And it's found in Romans 11. Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge! How impossible it is for us to understand His decisions and His ways! For who can know the Lord's thoughts, and who knows enough to give Him advice? We live in the mystery of the fact that he is God and we are not, and there are some things that we will never be able to wrap our brains around. And so then the invitation to us is in Romans 12. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Salem Alliance Church is a community of Jesus followers located in downtown Salem, Oregon. And we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at salemalliance.org. You can view today's entire service online at livestream.com backslash Salem Alliance.